everyone, welcome to Coach Out Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and here's what we've got lined up for you this week. We're doing it at that point. I think it's training that decision making and training you to handle the level of pressure that you're going to be under and, and still being able to like perform the skill as well as what yeah. like, you want to. So how would you kind of promote that or work on that? In this episode, we spoke to Paul Robinson about unopposed and opposed technical practices. We talked about where they fit, how we work on them and the other returns from the four corners from these types of practices. Coach Help is here to help you. Do you want guidance on your own personal development? Do you want to reflect better? Coach Help's primary focus is to help teachers, practitioners and coaches to do this. Get in touch today to set up a free consultation and ask any questions. You can follow us on Twitter at CoachHelp3 or email us at CoachHelp123 at gmail.com. Hi, Paul. Welcome to CoachHelp Podcast. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, just really briefly to start, just give us a bit of a, a rundown of your kind of career so far and what you're doing right now. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on, Lewis. Uh, pleasure. Uh, so, just a brief history of, of my like coaching experience. Um, I first started coaching on an American summer camp, um, and then I sort of caught the bug from that yeah. and got into coaching when I come back into the UK. And just started off doing um, like grassroots football um, in the UK. Um, so girls and boys football range of ages like seven through to adults and um, from then I've, I've sort of progressed into coaching in RTCs um, which is similar to an academy um, for girls <laughs> it's like the closest equivalent yeah. at the moment anyway um, and that's progressing um, and done like developmental um, team for a senior women's team in um, the third or fourth tier of women's football. Yeah. Um, and then from, from, is that what you're doing now then? So, yeah. Uh, so currently um, it's still in the RTCs and, well, RTC and um, grassroots at the same time. And um, so the RTC is, is um, girls, and that's in the like youth development phase. And the oh. grassroots, I'm doing um, for foundation phase, um, sort of mixed from under seven through to about under 15. Right. Because oh, it's interesting, you said you got the bug, bug in America. In terms of, was there anyone specifically in America, or has there been anyone since who's kind of influenced your coaching? Um, not so much in America. Um, so when I, I was on this um, summer camp, you could pretty much run any programme that you wanted to do, as long as enough of the campers wanted to participate in it. Uh, so I wasn't sort of employed just to like coach football. Uh, so I sort of thought the programmes that I could offer, like where I could add value to the camp was within sports and predominantly football um, I've sort of been involved in it um, like all my life uh, so that's where I got started but because I could do like what I wanted there wasn't 
like another coach there or like anyone more experienced overseeing me or mentoring me so I could just sort of like do a lot of trial and error and, and put my own stamp on it and um, which was quite a good way of starting and you know sort of discovering myself and sort of using my experience and like as a player I'm thinking about what I liked as a player and what I didn't like and then trying to create a session like on behalf of the players you know to cater for all their needs and make it as enjoyable as possible because I wanted enough of them to sign up to the program um, yeah. again and again and again um, so <clears throat> there wasn't really any influence while I was there since coming back, um, you know, I've done the um, coaching courses through VFA and that. Um, I'd say the coaches where I sort of do the most research and look into and maybe took the most on board from is from Pete Sturges, um, you know, the foundation phase coach um, for like the England um, coach development setup, yeah. and from Ben Bartlett, who used to be a part of. Um, VFA and now he's working um, in like uh, academy football. Yeah, what did what did them two bring? Because I know Ben Bartlett's quite a lot around constraints on kind of football and training. Mm -hmm. um, what did you take from them two specifically? Um, specifically from Pete Sturges about his um, key like foundation phase message of. Um, sort of staying on the ball, getting players to be comfortable on the ball, you know, trying to develop them to be confident and, you know, brave enough to take someone on in a one first one and to develop that skill and composure and, you know, to outplay uh, the person who we're playing against, you know, focusing on that like individual development and uh, to, you know, focus on the self-esteem as well as the technical development of it and um, so I, I really took that sort of um, message to heart uh, and I'll even use that message with like the older age groups as well uh, that I coach because a lot of them missed out on this message in the foundation phase so they've not had that sort of development on that sort of individual responsibility on being able to manipulate the ball and willing to take that ball in pressured situations um, and then from Ben Bartlett it was his principles and session design and um, so before these so it's like directional defined decisions and difference uh, so like while I was going through like the UEFA B and that's the sort of format that they're wanting the sessions to look like uh, so yeah. I used that a lot to, in how I then formed my sessions. Brilliant. Yeah, no, it's two really kind of good people to have a look at and encourage anyone else to kind of have a look. Um, but again, we're from, from obviously off your background, Paul, and then like delving into, we're going to chat about a couple of topics we spoke about opposed and unopposed practices. I want to kind of look at the latter one first, the unopposed practices, and kind of discuss your thoughts on what it looks like to you um, and kind of what you see as the, the kind of benefits of unopposed practices. Yeah. 
Uh, so there's quite a scope of unopposed practices. Uh, so it could be ball mastery. So like every player with a ball and practicing little skills um, and techniques and you know different maneuvers like that. Um, it could be sort of passing patterns or like a phase of play sort of pattern. Um, it could also be like um, patterns like that or, or like little free movement where you're working on different things and you get a lot of interference from the other players also doing the same sort of thing. Um, so like for getting in your way and it, it encourages you to look up and think a bit and you know not just go through the motions and you know you, you've got that interference but it's still unopposed because you've not got someone actively like trying to stop you from doing what you want to do and uh, so you've got that range of unopposed practice uh, and then there are benefits to unopposed practice that like studies have shown it's the fastest way to learn anything like fastest way to learn a skill the caveat to it is as long as the skill sort of looks the same again and again and again so it's not like the variability it's not you know if you're practicing passing the ball and you're passing it constantly 10 yards like you get really good at that but then that doesn't necessarily make you a good passer of the ball and uh, you know because you're not doing all these different types of passes and uh, of course the benefit of that would be um, when it comes to like passing the ball, there's a sort of ideal sort of um, technique. Um, there's a technique that's used like 95% of the time. And just because you get into repetition of that, like inside of your foot pass, I don't think that necessarily means that you're not going to use any other type of passer, but it's taking away your creativity to use other passing techniques and to discover other passing techniques it's just this is what we're focusing on now you know and you're going to get that sort of style and that'll help you in like 90 percent of the situations i just think then as a coach it's important that you realize and that you inform your players that this isn't like the one perfect technique that you must use in every situation but just you know, as I said, this is help you in like 95% of the situations. And then like you can coach the other sort of techniques that you might use in different situations and help inspire them and put them into situations where they might discover something new. And um, so like you get that constant repetition of like what you're going to do the majority of the time. So you can get like good at it. And even in like a constant practice, so like a constant practice where it's like a closed skill and, and if we're going to use passing, like two players passing the ball back and forth, it's about as constant as you get. So you're going to get loads and loads and loads of repetition. Or if you strip it back even further, just a ball on a wall, you know, one player with the ball, passing it back and forth against the wall. And we're going to get loads of repetition of using that um, inside the foot pass. And within that, you're going to get some variation because you're never going to hit it exactly the same every single time. The distance isn't going to be exact. It's going to be slightly out. The angle's going to be slightly out. Different speeds all the time as well. Uh, 
So you do get that variation. And I think the less experience the player is, um, or the less technical they have, the more variation you're going to get anyway, until they get it a bit more streamlined. Um, so there is still benefits from it, because uh, I was reading the book about um, skill acquisition, and they did like a study where they looked at um, a bloke with a hammer, like hammering a nail. And even in that constant action, they noticed that although the result was the same, the hammer hitting the nail, um, it wasn't the exact same swing every single time. There was like variation in it. So that's what you're going to get with the passing every single time. You're going to get variation still, no matter how constant or how controlled you try to make it. Of course, if you're doing that with more advanced players who can do it fairly consistently, they're probably going to need a bit more variation added to it so that, you know, because you're more skilled and it becomes more repetitive for them. Uh, that, that sort of said, uh, I think um, with the unopposed practice and the benefits of repetition and the other benefits of it would be um, that you get like um, that is you getting more touches on the ball and uh, there's less things that can go wrong um, you know you do a passing pattern so you do a game and, and you're suddenly under pressure uh, and then you take a bad touch or you get tackled and then you don't get the repetition of doing more passes um, and then you can also be more specific with it where you can make sure that you're doing practice on both feet. So like you put someone in the game and they're more likely going to use their preferred foot. But you do it unopposed and then you tell them, oh, look, we're only using our other foot. And then you get the repetition of the other foot and you build that confidence in the player. And then you know, that way you can also help them to discover things that they wouldn't try normally. You know, you put them in a game in that pressurised situation and they panic and or they do what comes naturally to them and they may not try things, you know, certain things like they may never discover. But if you can do it in an unopposed way and give them that confidence and inspire them to use like the other foot or another part of their foot, then you're giving them more tools that they might feel comfortable exploring when it becomes a pause. Um, so I think that's the benefits of it. Uh, there are some like drawbacks to it as well. Um, you know, the practice can become a little bit monotonous. It, it becomes difficult to keep them focused and to keep them entertained. Um, at which point, I think although it's got its benefits and it has a place, I think it should certainly be time limited. You know, like you're going to want to do about 10% of your practice time unopposed, sort of max. You know, insert. I think it's in, that's. It's, in, it's interesting though, because like I said, you said at the start of that kind of answer around mm -hmm. it's been like proven as the best type of kind of practice to develop quickly. Mm -hmm. So there's is there an argument there for it needs to be done for longer within sessions? So the caveat is as long as it's like the same thing again and again and again. So, mm. you know, as I said, you're not going to become an expert passer 
but you'll get good at using that certain passing technique or whatever yeah. it is that you're doing. And then you want the players to enjoy the session because you want them to keep coming back because we're going to get better the more practice they do. And then you want them to be engaged in the session as well. Um, sometimes you find if, if you do an unopposed for too long, the quality goes down because uh, the players lose interest in it and they're not concentrating as much as what they need to. And uh, also a, another part of the skill acquisition is that it's not just being able to do the skill in and of itself, but it's a decision making yeah. of when to do it, which is why you do need to be opposed so you can learn the triggers and you can learn what to look for and you can learn what situations require what, uh, like, like a different type of solution. And they're the things that you don't get from it being unopposed. But I also, do you think there's some other psychological returns from doing this kind of constant unopposed practice? So again, you could almost argue, and it's something I've kind of played around with, of unopposed practices, like you said, that typical people talk monotonous, the ball and the wall, but you look at any top athletes, the ones that have kind of made it, or whether that's any sport, they do the kind of so-called boring technical practices until they master them over and over. So there's almost like a a concentration factor or a motivational factor there that keeps them doing it. Mm -hmm. And also it's interesting, I remember working with a head of coach in the past at a previous club around, because... I remember the club went had this shift from unopposed to doing more opposed stuff in the foundation phase, which was seen as decision-making, like you said. But then mm -hmm. this guy came in and was like, we need to go back to unopposed, but to make it interesting, like I said, you had competition to it, you had scoring, you had some sort of, like you said, some mm -hmm. psychological, social element in there, which almost like instigates the learning, the motivation to want to get better at something. Mm -hmm. Which um, I thought I thought was I thought it's it's an interesting way to look at it because I think take it probably away from football. Look at like basketball at the minute, and a team just won the NBA, and Stephen Curry's like the best three point shooter of all time. Mm -hmm. That's come from him with a basketball hitting three pointers his whole life. Mm -hmm. So how is he stuck at that? And again. The variation that is probably trying it on the move, trying it when he's fallen over, trying it when he's triple teamed by three players defensively. But if he's not got the technique there, that he's like say that hundreds and thousands of hours of practicing, can he actually do it anyway? Because mm -hmm. I think that's yeah. another thing. Again, when you say no, like when they then go into the opposed stuff or the decision making stuff, if the technique's not there and the player falls down in the session in terms of the standard, they've kind of not got any kind of recall factor or anything to go back to, to go, well, this is how I pass the ball properly. Mm -hmm. Which I think is another kind of interesting part. Yes, there's got to be a mix of it, but um, just like I said, is there anything like you think in terms of kind of psychological returns from it? The unopposed stuff? So I think you could argue about how it can increase 
sort of concentration where they learn to focus on it and you know a fair attention span like gradually over time and um, i think in terms of the other stuff like you can make it into like a competition to try and increase engagement i don't think that's necessarily like going to give you any greater psychological or social returns as opposed to what you'd achieve with an opposed practice so although like you're getting some returns it's maybe not as much as what you'd get with like the others like sort of practice design yeah um but then again i'm just also in regards to that would you um kind of it coming back to kind of being able to like almost deal with pressure as well so again i go back to maybe more of a close skill say a corner or a free kick or a penalty kick you go you can go down like the penalty thing if the if the technique has been practiced unopposed over and over again and have they got almost a a confidence in that technique to fall back to when they need to, when there's the other kind of external factors going around. I feel I talk mm-hmm. from experiences like I played as a youth team player in an academy up until 18 and 14, 15, 16, crossing was a real kind of strength of mine. But the mm-hmm. minute I was put in a more pressure, three-point environment, the manager, the coach in the 18s wanted me to put the ball in a certain place and suddenly putting that kind of pressure on me I couldn't deal with it so was that because I'm not practiced enough or was that because I need to be putting again flipping out into probably more opposed practices around crossing I'm not sure mm-hmm. um, I'd have probably thought it, it when that happens it's because you know you chalk under the pressure and I think yeah. if you make the practice more realistic and you get used to handling that pressure that's when you're going to get it more within the games that's where you're going to get the transfer but of course if you're not able to cross the ball accurately then you know you don't have the power in your legs or or you don't have that technique or, or whatever it may be then i think if you're putting it into your opposed practice you're going to make it difficult to find out what works and you're not going to get as much repetition you know because like if you put it in a game situation the ball doesn't always come out to you to cross it or when the ball does come out to you maybe for defenders in the way or maybe the forward's not made for run into the position where you need to cross the ball so you've got all of these variables which can stop you from getting the repetition of your practice but once you've got like your basic technique and, and you're capable of doing it at that point it, I think it's training that decision making and training you to handle the level of pressure that you're going to be under and, and still being able to like perform the skill as well as what yeah. like, you want to so how would you kind of promote that or work on that within like a, a post practice uh, so once like for capable of getting that cross down, I'd sort of increase the um, 
sort of increase the level of opposition gradually. So I'd possibly start out with a design where the ball's going to go and be played out to the wide player to cross the ball. Uh, and, you know, maybe there's even not a defender out there or the defender's starting so far back that you're able to get that cross off. Yeah. And you're going to make it so that you've got your target player like running into where they need to go. Uh, and you could maybe start with like an attacking overload. So you've got like, you know, more attackers in the box when you do defenders. So they've got more chance of getting onto the end of it. And because you've not got that much pressure, like stopping you from crossing it, the likelihood is, first of all, you're going to get crosses in the box. And second of all, you're going to get more chance of the positive outcome because the game's constantly giving you feedback. So if you're getting success crossing it in, then you've got that feedback to say, I'm doing a good job and, and this is going to get results, which would be potentially scoring goals. Um, so that would be the start to make sure we get the repetition. And then you'd increase the realism. So the defender maybe starts a little bit closer to the wide player. So now you've got the decision of whether you cross it first time or, or you know, do you take an early cross, do you take a late cross? Um, how close can you let that defender get to you? Can you cross it before he gets there? Do you need to do a little bit of skill or change of pace? to gain the extra yard before you can get that cross off without the defender blocking it. Um, and then, you know, once you can do that much, you can sort of, again, increase the realism in the box where in a game situation, more times than not, you're going to get more defenders in the box than the forwards. So now the cross needs to be even more accurate to try and find that target player if you're going to convert these chances. Yeah. It's interesting like how you've kind of spoke about how you progress it. Is there any way, again, take something really kind of observational, but in, how would you measure development within that? Uh, so measuring development, uh, I find like in almost anything is incredibly difficult because you've got, you know, in football, there's two teams and, one team's trying to do one thing and the other team's trying to stop them. At which point, if you're not getting much success, is it because you're not doing your job well enough? Or is it because the other team's doing an excellent job of stopping you? So it's difficult to measure success. Like you could say, like, oh, well, how many goals do we score from it? But that may not be because of the poor cross. You know, the cross may be great but the conversion's not there. And it's not because the wide player, who's our primary player in this exercise, who we want to develop, isn't getting their goals. Um, I mean, again, you could look at, well, are we getting accurate crosses in? But is the cross accurate because the forward's doing all the work and they can get on the end of it, even if the cross isn't particularly good? Or, you know, is it a really good cross, but it's an excellent defender who can always head it clear so like using basic like measures um it isn't always an accurate guide as to whether or not it's working um so for that reason i find it difficult to try and measure it and then compare it week on week yeah. as to whether you're actually seeing progress or not 
think it's more a matter of just like looking at it, seeing, like trying to figure out why it's working or why it's not working and seeing it, you know, it, is it the primary player that we want them to focus on that's getting it and then seeing how it comes out in the games, you know, you're wanting your wide player to cross that ball more. Is the wide player crossing the ball when that opportunity is on? You know, are they making the right decisions about what they're doing? And then is the decision that they've made actually effective? Like, did they make the right decision but didn't use the correct technique or the technique was slightly wrong? Like, do we need to go back to that? Or was the technique right and the decision wrong? Or were they both right? And, and that's where you're getting like a lot of grey areas in, in Mm. football in, in almost any aspect of it yeah that's no, interesting and then just kind of going on like around your own kind of personal development where do you kind of see your development or understanding in this going next is there anything you want to kind of really go after in regards to practice design or opposed unopposed practices constant and variable um, is there anything you're kind of looking to explore? Uh, not specifically, um, but I'm just looking at like all football and like my sessions as a whole, um, you know, trying to give the players that I'm working with at that time what they need. And some sessions like, you know, the players need the unopposed work to try and build their confidence and, and get back initial sort of proficiency to be able to play uh, and other sessions have already got the proficiency and we can build from that. Yeah. And like, is there any kind of, I know you mentioned about kind of Pete Sturgis and Ben Bartlett before, is there anyone else you might recommend to maybe go and watch or see work in this, in these ways? Um, they're the two that I come across most often, like when I'm doing my own research. Um, but I know there's other good coaches out there. Um, I, I'll see a lot with um, Carl Wild, um, former um, academy coach at Manchester City Women, and coach David Baird. Um, they've both got books out with Mayor Mayor um, as myself and, and uh, I think like all the work that, that like groups doing it is very good and definitely worth checking out. Brilliant. Now cheers for that Paul. Really appreciate having you on some really good points there around the, the kind of coaching styles around opposed and unopposed practices. Thanks mate. Now, thanks for having me on Lewis. Take care. Cheers.